Let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the heart of the believers in this town who pursue it in all sorts of places. Lord, with, uh, we'd ask you to watch over the teaching here, elsewhere, that we would be a church that is growing in grace. Thank you in your son's name. Amen. Well, as has been a habit recently, I taught through Ephesians, then I taught through Galatians. The ease of knowing what you're going to speak on next is a real, especially this morning where I couldn't get up early enough to prepare, so I had to do it yesterday. And I already knew what it was going to be on, second chapter of Titus. But who knows, I might be back into uh, jumping all over the scriptures in a couple of weeks trying to tie the second chapter of Titus into Christmas is a little hard. But to the pure, all things are pure, it says. So when you're whining, done internally, about the nature of the sermon, why couldn't he talk about the Messiah or the birth of the Messiah? Because all things are pure to the pure. But to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their deeds. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good deed. But as for you, teach what befits sound doctrine. Now those were at the end of our sermon last week. We covered the first chapter of Titus. And it was helpful in terms of when you go on to, to, to overlap a little bit into what you did cover. And we know that the nature of the church, we know that the history of the church has been, not this church, but Christendom at large, has faithlessly, over centuries, with all sorts of excuses, done exactly what St. Paul in Galatians and here in Tim, Titus chapter 1 um, rejected and said all believers should reject because they treat things as if it was the corruption. The world was the corruption. The things of fleshly material reality were corruption. Because they were corrupt. Their consciences and minds were corrupt. To the pure, all things are pure. Somebody has a warning light going off in their head. He is saying that Christians get to do anything Kinda. Then the question comes up, why did you want to do that? What kind of person are you? We're the kind of people for whom all things are pure. If donuts are pure, you say, well, I can't see anything wrong with donuts. After 58 of them, might, people might, the elders may come visiting and saying, you know, you've got a problem. Not just because donuts, some obsession, but gluttony, all sorts of other things. We would know something in your heart, not something in the donuts, nothing wrong with donuts, nothing wrong with beer, nothing wrong with sex, nothing wrong with all the sorts of things that the Gnostic, monastic movement said, that is bad, material is bad. Let's make all sorts of rules to stop you from having the material. But to the pure, all things are pure. So if you're pure this morning, and all things are pure to you, 
how do you approach all things? Because the corrupt, with their uh, the unbelieving, corrupt people, who profess to know God. Remember, these are religious people. These are people in the church. They profess to know God, but their deeds deny Him. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good deed. So we're not just we're not saying that when you're pure, all things are pure, therefore everything is good, regardless. We're saying there's a different path to finding the good that the law will not create. The law will never be a path to good deeds. It just makes you detestable, makes you unpleasant to be around for God and any believer. But to the pure, there is a path to good deeds. So you have to say, if I'm the pure, and all things are pure, for the pure, how do I decide how to live? How am I led to live? There has to be a way that's fit to good deeds. I have to, at the end of the day, I'm going to measure myself to be something that is pleasing to God. Something that God expects out of his chosen, out of his children. No, if you lead right into this next passage in chapter 2, but as for you, teach what befits sound doctrine. Now, after centuries of the church misbehaving on doctrinal arguments, when we say doctrine, everybody thinks, okay, what's your systematic theology? What kind of, you know, what is the nature of God? What is the nature of sin? What is the nature of man? What is the nature of the atonement? What's the nature of the Trinity? What's the nature of, and you have definitions and you have arguments and you have differences of opinion and that's, I am reformed, I am baptistic, I am whatever it is. Doctrine just means teaching. So when he says, teach what befits sound teaching, He's really saying the stress is on the soundness. Right? And it's not trying to draw you away into a theological mindset. Nothing wrong with theology, but it's not trying to advocate that. It's like a title to what comes next. You teach what befits sound teaching. And then he goes, bid the older men to be temperate, serious, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So he's telling Titus what it is that is sound teaching. He didn't tell the older men how many beers they could drink, or that they should only wear dark-toned clothing and thin black ties, or that uh, you know, whatever kind of rules you grew up with, he's not telling them what the rules are. He's telling them who the person is. Secondarily, these are, and I don't mean this in a way that will make you lazy, these are target goals. Not saying at the end of my life I hope to be. Um, no, these are things you should be attending to. Titus is supposed to get the older men to attend to arrive at these things attend to the changes that would make them thus. Now each of us is potentially different, but all the older men, it's not like older men, have you noticed that on, on what's it called, the internet? Um, recently, because I'm cool and I'm happening, 
there have been these charts that have everybody in Lord of the Rings defined by some Myers something or other personality type, not using the God-ordained, sanguine, phlegmatic, choleric, and melancholic standards that God and the Apostle Paul, uh, but some new psychology thing that you probably took a test when you were in seventh grade and it told you that you were a, and then four letters. I don't know what they mean. I don't care. You're just a little too self-absorbed. Now, it doesn't have special dispensations for your kind of temperament. It only has special dispensation for your kind of age and gender. Old men. Then it goes old women, and then young women, and then young men. And it's going to make a lot of sense. But all old men, I don't care if you're like Aragorn or not, because oddly enough, they all turned out to be like Aragorn, because uh, he's handsome. And all the girls get to be Elizabeth Bennet. You, you are so predictable. But guess what? The Lord has plans for you. The Lord says to uh, the apostle to tell to his apostolic delegate Titus, lean on these people so that the old men would turn out this way. Temperate. Temperate knows when to stop. Right? Serious. Well, old guys, they just sort of end up serious. They've paid enough taxes. They've seen enough things break. And of course, the first snow fell. I have my brand new snowblower. I'm out there for two hours yanking on a rope, and it doesn't start. <laughs> Aching for two days. Glenda, I wouldn't let Glenda near me. Um, and it's in Seattle now, getting fixed. It is on warranty, but it's been snowing. Well, I know this. Futility, right? Stuff breaks. The world comes to an end and you die. Enjoy it. Seriousness. Well, he's like, well, yeah, serious. Sensible. What are old men else going to do? I mean, you don't want to ever meet an old man who's not sensible. Sound in the faith. Oh, yeah, and those guys standing over in the corner, you know, talking theology. They're sound in the faith. You know, some things that you say, well, these are all very natural, right? Maybe not in the first century they were because you're shaping the church at the very ground of its inception. So you see a lot of these things as being, yeah, this is what old men turn out to be. Temperate, serious, sensible, sound in faith, and in steadfastness. You might want to look at these lists because you're supposed to be responsible to attend to creating in you the thing the apostolic delegate wanted to create in you. Guess what? For old men, in love. Right there in the middle. Right there in the middle of that temperate, serious, sensible, sound in the faith. You can just watch those pants getting hiked up, right? You can just watch the suspenders being put on and the old crotchety, you know, guides of the church. The old men who told me not to run in the Baptist church in Annapolis because it was the house of God. We all sort of head that way to that crotchety oldness. But that's just old human beings. Old Christians are supposed to become those things in love so that people in the body find stu loving stability, right? 
a guidance to their lives. Here's a temperate, serious, sound, steadfast Christian who loves other people. Sometimes as we see the sin of the age get worse and worse, we become more aware of the futility that is around us and more aware of our death arriving. We see it. You'll get there. It's like a big black dot in the middle of your vision. And it's not cataracts, it's just death. Getting bigger every moment. You have to work in the peripheries. People wonder why they can't get your attention. Well, there's death right there. My chest ached a little bit. I want to do that. I really want to die in the pulpit. So prepare yourselves. Bid the older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They're to teach what is good. Okay, I don't care what your personality type is, you're supposed to attend to this. Are you attending to any of it? I've been thinking lately. Um, some of you are familiar with this concept that I've been pushing of, of prime reality and there's subprime reality and I put in your subprime reality the church your causes I don't care how noble I don't care if it's abortion I don't care if it's voting Republican I don't care if it's it's um, making evolution safe to be taught in public schools I, you know or the other one what's the other one creation um, <laughs> Whatever your causes are, stopping the sex traffic in, in Portland. I don't care if it's your job. I don't care if it's your health, your diet. All of those are subprime realities. And everybody attends to those things. They think that's the responsible and right thing to do, is to attend to all these dying, pointless, futile things. Oh, they're needful, but they're pointless and futile. And God wants you to attend to become temperate, serious, sensible, sounded faith in love and in steadfastness. God wants you to attend to being reverent in behavior, not a slanderer or a slave to drink. Your prime reality of attention, where you should be governing most, is where God has told you to govern regardless of who you are to the end that his gospel would show an effect in this world. We have a world full of Christians, many, many Christians. 5% of the world's population, many. That's quite a few. A lot of people. Who spend all their time making Christian postures about their churches and their causes, not Christians out of themselves. People could spend all whole life fighting abortion, watching their marriages go to Hades in a handbasket. They can fight against gay marriage, but let their own go to pieces. Because they've got causes. They've got doctrines. You've got you. And you will be judged on the last day for what you have become. And here older women are supposed to be, what is something they sometimes, like when old men get crotchety and cease to love, old women cease to be reverent in behavior. Reverent, the word here is not the same one used of, young, of wives towards husbands, which is phobos, or fear. This has to do with sacred things. Understanding the sacredness of things. 
sometimes old and wisdom and what comes on you and all the cynicism and skepticism strips from the men love and strips from the women the sense of the sacred. So I don't know what you mean by that. Well, guess what? The older women, you were bidden by the apostolic delegate to become reverent in behavior, so you better find out. Because these are not choices you get to make. You're under a divine agent. God wants you to be a certain way. You know how you sometimes wish you could find a church where the pastor was like an apostle? You know that every Sunday morning he actually got a word from the Lord about what to say? In case you have not, you know, viewed my sermons that way. Oh, that'd be so cool. Having an apostle, just like the New Testament church. Because then we could ignore it in the first person. <laughs> then face to face I could ignore what the apostle said. Because that's what I'm about to do right now with this. Because that's what it said to me and I'm not doing it. Oh, it's such a blessing to have an apostle in the pulpit. Shut up. We didn't say anything. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be sensible, chaste, domestic, kind, submissive to their husbands. I said I didn't want to do what the apostle told me. I just want to have an apostle. Like a Pekingese or something. Like a, like a small dog I could keep. I go to a church with an apostle or pastor. And this is an awful, this is an awful. Because, you know, you just have to drop one of the terms, one of the qualities out, and you suddenly have something that a lot of people are. Everybody loves to be some arrangement of some of what God requires of them. And so you get, throughout Christendom today, people who are trained to be chaste, domestic, kind, and submissive to their husbands in the more conservative circles of Christianity. All those things, oh, and they get the, you know, no mean to speak ill of certain population groups, but, you know, they got Mennonite leanings, let's just say. Amish. Conservative, patriarchal, whatever you want to call it. And I'm a conservative. I'm more conservative than the average patriarch. I believe in divine right of kings. But the key here for the young woman is... Learning to love your husbands and children and to be sensible. Because too often, the only way we can make a chaste, domestic, kind, submissive to the husband, young lady, is we make her vacuous. That she becomes empty. We've stripped her of qualities of prudence. She's not a, a well-thinking person. You, you walk up and talk to them and they, they like they're out of their depth instantly if it's any kind of conversation that challenges any, any notion of their life. What a, a prudent woman, a sensible woman, knows exactly what to do with that. But the older women are to train the younger women to be this way, loving their husbands and children. Because it's all too easy not to. We're not entirely lovable. Children are not entirely little, you know, J.C. Penny portraits all the time. They're difficult. The thing that's hard, we can do culturally. We can throw a culture of chastity and domesticity. 
at someone. And the other thing worth paying attention to as well, I mean, if you're not chaste and domestic, you might want to become chaste and domestic. But just generally speaking, you see certain things dropped off the list. We eliminate sensibility in order to get at the other things. Because sometimes the way we teach or the way we push a young woman into submission to her husband is by creating a worldview that is unsupportable. And a sensible woman won't put up with that kind of nonsense. Now there's a way of getting to submission to your husbands and loving your husbands and children and being domestic that is sensible, but it isn't the one that it creates a patriarchal culture. It isn't that one. It's something else. But you got to get there. And if you get there rightly, you will attend to these lists. You say, okay, I'm a young woman currently. Maybe if I don't even have an older woman around me to teach me these things, maybe I ought to first go find one. You know, you got some older women in the congregation. Some of you are young women. There's some older women. Get out their phone number. You say, um, well, because Evan kind of made fun of me on Sunday about ignoring the apostle, I better, I thought I better call and ask how to make macaroni and cheese to make me a godly woman. How to clean a bathroom. By the way, Leslie's thinking of starting a class for young ladies. Sometime this next semester, God willing. We don't have a name for it yet. It'll be a cool name. But it won't involve words like resurgence or authentic. Or mentoring or uh, dialogue or milieu or what are some of the other awful ones. We're beyond that, okay? So you got a list, right? You got some lists. Stuff that you're going to attend to. That says, you know, God's not going to judge me on how well my profession went. If I laid up treasures on earth where moth and rust devour. What about whether I was rich towards God? And older men are rich towards God that way. Older women this way. Young women that way. And young men urge them to control themselves. It says we're not even giving them a list. There's nothing they do naturally well. There's nothing that they generally pick up on and make it a part of their life. They just keep it simple, small words. <laughs> Likewise, urge the younger men to control themselves. Restraint, only restraint. And what's in today's world, what does it mean? Everything is supposed to be the unrestrained resistance. Because it's not an adventure, it's not spontaneous, it's not a party, it's not a this, it's not a that, it's not, you're not somebody, unless you have no restraints, no rules, just right. I kind of like to see, this may seem unkind, one of those, you know, squirrel flying, paragliding bodysuit guys that Red Bull their way into a cliff face. One of them did. He missed. The attitude of you jumped at the ground and missed. They had been doing that for a long time, jumping at the ground and missing. And uh, he didn't. 
But he had a, it was exciting. There was a video I think on YouTube the other day of some guy doing base jumping and it just took him into the cliff face and GoPro video all the way down. Just tore him up. He lived. Why are we doing those things? It's not because they're wrong to do. It's nothing, remember nothing, it's pure, all things are pure. Right? It's pure to go base jumping. Gravity is God's gravity. Now, what are you going to live like? Well, the apostle told me to restrain myself, uh, to control myself. How am I showing that? If I'm a base jumper, I said, Evan, you're just, you and gravity get along great, twice as great as I do. <laughs> but I have no problem with someone going base jumping. Or those, what are they called, flying suits. I think it's really, pretty amazing is what it is. But the attitudes of the heart, the person who is made that way. Did you see that interview about some guy living on food stamps, some middle class surfer dude in you know, central California, surfed all day, went and got his food stamps, lived off food stamps, had lobster in the evening, went surfing, didn't work. Just a complete vacancy of a human being. We know we don't want that. Jesus Christ is trying to... What is he shaping here? What kind of person is he shaping? It's the kind of person you are, not the laws of your church and not the laws of the Old Testament. It's the law of your heart. What has God done for you that when the apostle says, I'm urging you young men to restrain yourselves, control it, you look to heaven and you go, yes, sir. And for pastors, show yourself in all respects a model of good deeds. And in your teaching, show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. What's lacking in the pastorate today? They get trained to sound like they have integrity. I mean, what if you, every pastor was trying to sound like he couldn't be trusted? Integrity is this, what's the adage? Sincerity. Once you have that faked, you have it made. You're supposed to have, you have integrity and gravity. So sobriety, that's why some people wear robes or suits or a tie or, or um, in modern churches it's a stool and a Hawaiian shirt and a head mic because that shows I'm authentic, right? Which is a word that is banned in All Souls Christian because we don't have many rules. We have ways, we know these things are good for pastors to be. Grave, it means, it means in, in real uh, gravity. You said Evan has a lot of gravity. Well, she should have other kinds of gravity too. Other kind of weight to what he says. But what's missing in a lot of churches are two things. The pastors are not models of good deeds. And they don't show sound speech that cannot be challenged. Rational and exemplary. Do you want to be just like your pastor? Yes, you do. 
I'll jump in there before anybody says anything. But my job, for me, just like your job if you're an old man or a young man or a young woman, old woman, you got some things to do, some things to attend to. I have some things to attend to. I have to say, okay, week to week, Sunday to Sunday, week to, um, year to year, what's my example to the congregation? Does my teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech? Because it's important that my opponents would be embarrassed at an accusation they might make. Remember that in chapter 1? He's asking for blameless bishops because the world's watching. That's why you're, you're, all your kids are supposed to be in, in the light. Your marriage is supposed to be intact. It's why you're not supposed to lose your temper. There's all sorts of things that are public and blameworthy that someone could speak legitimately about your misbehavior. And it's important to Paul, well, it's twice already, right? The kind of semester to the husbands, verse 5, that the word of God would not be discredited. So the person who doesn't, remember, you, don't, you didn't agree with Paul, maybe you didn't agree with Paul, submissive to your husband's, I don't, I don't like the apostolic view on this. It's also true that you do not like the gospel. I'm, I, I, no, I don't make these rules up. I don't, I don't say, hey, I'm going to call you names because you didn't agree with the apostle. If I don't live this way, it will discredit the word of God. Because the word of God is supposed to produce old men that look like that, old women that look like this, young women that do this, and young men who restrain themselves. That's what the gospel's supposed to do. And it's supposed to produce pastors with integrity, gravity, rationality, sound speech. That means someone could examine the words you speak and break apart your sentence and say, you claim this, therefore that. Is it sound? When you're older and you're shopping for furniture and you're looking for solid wood products, you get a second sense about press wood. Because they're trying to make press wood all over the world look like real wood. They're photographing pieces of paper and gluing it to the outside. Oh, look, it's oak. And if you're an idiot, you don't know how to knock on the thing or look at the back. And you're looking for soundness. That what it claims to be, it is. It claims to be reasonable. It ought to be reasonable. But even that would leave the opponent having nothing evil to say. You don't want the world seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ not have an effect. You are insulting the Lord with his death on the cross when you claim to be a Christian on one hand and then you say, well, I really don't, really not haven't gotten around to this yet. I'm really not about to start to become these things. I'm not going to attend to this. I've got my profession to attend to. I have my family to attend to. I have subprime realities to worry about. Bid slaves. Any of you slaves? How you feel like it, I'm sure. You say, well, you don't have slaves. Let's just skip over this. Well, we don't have slaves. But it's good to know that when there were slaves in a world, Christianity knew how to address that little economic distress, that circumstance. And it was trying to say to you, oh, it's not that children obeying their parents, wives obeying their husbands, citizens obeying their kings, all those things are supposed, you know, um, 
they don't really matter to us anymore. There is a way of being for Christians. To be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to be refractory. And so I use the RSV because I like to run across words like refractory. You say, well, if the NIV say, you have the NIV. Did anybody bring their Bible to church? No, could you give us the passage? Probably says something like, no back chat. That's what it means. No back chat. No. Now, they're not supposed to be up against it, always given the sergeant or the boss man or the master or the employer middle management noise about everything. You're not supposed to be pilfering where you say to yourself, you know, they don't pay me enough really. I couldn't get along unless I took a couple reams of paper home with me. You're not supposed to give any noise back. You're not supposed to steal stuff from your boss. But to show entire and true, that means all-encompassing and with integrity, in other words, it's actually real, fidelity. What does fidelity mean? Fides, fidelity. Semper fidelis, the U.S. Marine Corps, always faithful. Fidelity is faithfulness. So that's what you're supposed to be. You're a slave. You're in a circumstance you could equate with slavery. Some of the wives are saying, I feel like a slave. 28 diapers a day, and then he expects me to cook dinner and have it taste good. That's you're starting to sound refractory at that point. Um, and feel free to use the term to your own conscience. No, you're supposed to go, oh, entire and true. Look at the words that are used. Temperate, serious, sensible. Sensible, domestic, submissive. Control, restraint. Love. I had a great phrase in C.S. Lewis the other day. I've been remembering in any number of circumstances and remember to use it anytime for you. Free, he's dead now. He can't sue you. Um, talked about I think a husband putting up with a difficult wife. I think that was the context. I don't remember. But he says, there should always be forgiveness, but not acquiescence. A husband can acquiesce to a difficult woman. He can also forgive a difficult woman, and sometimes they'll look the same. You know? We can... be this kind of person in love. We're not asking for, you might say, an internal grumbling, refractory, oh, put upon, I gotta do it because I'm a Christian in the Bible, dang Bible. Nor are you supposed to be a whipped, servile wretch that ends up being shuffling along behind your patriarch, two steps behind to the left, not looking up because you're domestic, chaste, you're supposed to be sensible and loving. You're going after others with love. Now it gives us a reason. Here, 
to show entire and true fidelity, once again, so that in everything they may adorn, that means decorate, the doctrine of God our Savior. Wives, when they become that, don't discredit the gospel. Pastors, when they are sensible, rational, good examples, they credit the word of God. Slaves, when they learn to be a more governed person than the governor who governs them, governs to obtain. How many governors were in that? You know, the, the master is, you know, he's whipping his slaves, he's being all sorts of abusive because he knows he's dealing with evil people. Well, Christians walk into the situation and say, okay, what do you want done? How much do you want it done? I'll do it twice as much. There's to give entire and true good satisfaction. They're, they're, we're supposed to be surprises to the world. The world struggles over the government of children and husbands and employees and citizens. And we have SWAT teams that go in and shoot people because people are difficult. And we have homes that you send your kid off to because they're so rebellious. You just want something to change. And Jesus Christ has come into your life to make you the perfect citizen. By God's standards, not by theirs. Again, not a slave. Even as a slave, you're not a slave. Because you're choosing to show this fidelity. You're choosing to show this adornment of the doctrine of our God. Because we've been made good, nice, helpful, thrifty, brave people. Like Boy Scouts. Without the shorts. Then it tells us why. For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. No, I'm not going to go into that. That's a low-hanging fruit right there. You say, Evan Wilson, famous for his defense of freedom of the will and the unlimited atonement. Famous, I tell you. You hang a fruit like that off a branch. Savior of all men. Pow, knock it into the balcony where the ungodly sit. No, we're not talking about He's not talking about that. He didn't bring up determinism and freedom of the will. He's... He's talking about what this grace has been revealed to, to give us. The salvation in the grace of God. It trains us, verse 12, to renounce their religion. And worldly passions. And to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world. There you go. That's what it's all about. We took all of those old men, old women, young women, young men, and said, okay, what are they all supposed to be? They all got their uniqueness, love, reverence, restraint, chastity. That's why the grace of God has appeared. Irreligion, this is what you renounce. What is ir what is How do you renounce irreligion? Can't I get an NIV? You say, I'm bringing one next week. <laughs> Show him, use funny words, renounce. Irreligion. What's religion? Remember the, some of you are old enough to remember this. It's Rolaids commercial. You remember the phrase? I take Rolaids religiously. Now, it used to be that words like religious had meanings. Religiously. 
means one under a regulation. That's why Christianity is a religion. Buddhism is a religion. It is, is a way of life, a standard, a behavior construct. You're to renounce irreligion. But not just by becoming religious, not any religion. You don't get to be a Buddhist. You don't get to be something else. You don't get to go to this church or that church and pick up that kind of Christianity, this kind of Christianity. You get to do this. This is the religion you are to be attending to. Bid the older men. Bid the younger men. This is the religion, the attention, the government you're supposed to be bringing into your life. You're a slave, this is what you're supposed to do. You're a young man, this is what you're supposed to do. All of us are supposed to become religious the way God wants us religious. True, true religion. I'm to renounce the avoidance of that. If I have a life that does not attend to making my life a pleasure to God, I have not renounced irreligion. And I'm also supposed to renounce worldly passions. That means if you're the kind of person that makes up their mind because of how they feel, how do you feel about that? I don't care. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are, how much you react, or how much you're in love, and how wonderful she is. She's not a believer. What are you doing? Renounce worldly passions. And to live, look at the description, sober, not drunk your faculties about you. You know what you're doing because Lord knows you're a young man and you've been busy controlling yourself. And so you ended up sober. Looking out of your eyes and everything's in focus. Upright and godly lives. Do people want to, do, 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 do young mothers with small boy children bring him into church holding their hand, chubby little hand, little toddler there? Remember Elijah just got along pretty well, sat down front. Well, he was growing up here, they moved to Montana. He was growing up here in the church and he was looking around and at some point in his young life, he, his mother may have said, you know, there's so-and-so. Grow up and be like him. Ever say that about you? Anywhere? Any place on the planet? At any time? Does your mother even say it to you, your younger siblings, about you? And she loves you. Do they? Are you upright? Are you sober? Are you godly? That's why the gospel appeared in the world. It wasn't to forgive you of your sins. It had to forgive you of your sins to work this good in you. God's not interested in harvesting a bunch of forgiveness, forgiven people. It's not like there's something special about forgiven people. He wants people who have sought him and seek the life that is rich in him. That's what, he's, that's what he wants. He has to forgive them to make them capable for the, of that. You're awaiting the blessed hope. This is how you should be living. Sober, upright, godly, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. This is a wonderful gospel passage. This is what the point of it is. 
Notice how there's an argument there for the deity of Jesus Christ in verse 13. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reason he gave himself, we've got the purpose of the Christian life, we have the forgiveness of the Christian life, we have the blessed hope, and we have Jesus Christ and his deity. He gave himself to redeem you from iniquity and to purify for himself a people. And they're the kind of people, purified people, they're zealous for good deeds. That means they got, a, they got this on their things to do list that they really wanted to do. You know how the holidays will make you a little uh, busy? And you got lists all the time. Who do I got to buy for? And some people you got to go buy for, say it's a boyfriend. Or your wonderful husband, perhaps. So oh, I can't wait to go shopping for a day and a half. I'm going to give a day and a half to shopping for him, her, whatever. Zealous to do certain things. You're to be zealous. God's trying to make a people zealous for good deeds. When Caleb came to me and told me to preach with some verb so he would not drop off due to the feeding and the heat, I hope I've accomplished some of that. But I told him then, and I tell you now, that the memorable verse, the part of this, that you've got to stop and go, what, am I, what did I get myself into? And he told me this was going to be on SoundCloud later this afternoon. I might have to listen to it again, which would knock up my listening points. Declare these things. Done. Exhort. Mm, I think so. And reprove. Did I? With all authority. Mm, I'll leave that to you. Let no one disregard you. There. It says that about Titus, Evan. Yeah, okay. Fine. Got it. Don't disregard Titus. It's in English. My father's been saying recently, and I, I recommend this to you. First, you decide what it says. Is it true? Ask yourself, is that true? Is all of this true? Whether you like it or not, is it true? And now before you stop and try to buckle down and do what you're supposed to do, thank God for it. Thank him repeatedly for the truth of this passage. And then go about not disregarding it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very, very grateful for the guidance of who we are, what kind of people we are, what we're to attend to becoming in your Son. We thank you for his atoning work. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to do these things, but Lord, we know that our will stands in the way of so much. We'd ask that we would refresh ourselves in this passage again, looking it over and calling ourselves to account. That we'd become a people who are a credit to your gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen.